0: Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear his word today. We invite you to take your Bible or your Bible app and open with me to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. While you're turning, again, I want to say thank you to our Bible Center family So many of you who are tuning in online, on TV, uh, those of you who are part of our Bible Center family who are here, thank you for being with us today. And I also wanna give a shout out to those of you who may be new. If we haven't yet had the privilege to meet, I look forward to the opportunity of meeting you uh, either this evening or just as soon as we're able to uh, have a good discussion. So thanks again for being here. Most likely by now, many of you are wondering why I have golf clubs Uh, up on the platform. I'm gonna explain in just a minute why I'm doing it, but I can assure you that pastors will go to great lengths, almost any length, to teach God's word in a way that we can remember. And so I'll say more about the golf clubs here in just a minute. But today we're continuing our series through the book of Exodus, and God has led Israel out of Egypt, across the Sinai Peninsula, across the Red Sea, most likely at the Gulf of Aqaba, And now they're at the base of Mount Sinai, which most scholars now believe is in the northwestern region of Saudi Arabia. And they're at the base of Mount Sinai, and God is about to give them the Ten Commandments. And that's why today's title is simply, Why Did God Give Us the Ten Commandments? It's a familiar story to most, who've either grown up in church, maybe even people who haven't grown up in church. Apart from John three sixteen, the 10 commandments are very well known in our society. And so I'm gonna answer that question, why God gave us the 10 commandments with four points. And I'm gonna use the letters G-O-L-F to answer that question. And here's why I'm doing it. Because I want you to remember these four points long after tonight is over. I want you to remember these four points five years from now, 50 years from now. I hope some of you would come up to me if we're both still kicking and that you would say, I remember the four points about golf that you spoke on back in 2020. And so that's what I'm gonna do over the next few minutes. Let me invite you to follow along in your Bible or your Bible app. You can also follow along on the screen as I read from Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse one. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled in fear and they stayed at the distance and they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. And so we asked the question tonight, why did God give us the 10 commandments? Here's the answer. Here's, Here's the big idea that I hope you'll remember 50 years from now. Here's the big idea. The Ten Commandments teach us much about golf. The Ten Commandments teach us much about golf, G-O-L-F. If you're taking notes or you like to take notes, the notes are in your app. You can look on the app under media, uh, or it's also on the uh, our webpage, BibleCenterChurch.com. The Ten Commandments teach us much about golf. So what I'm going to do in the next few minutes is tell you what G-O-L-F stand for, That way we can remember it until the day we go to heaven. First of all, number one, the G. The Ten Commandments teach us much about God the Father. The Ten Commandments teach us much about God the Father. The most significant thing about the Ten Commandments is God. The first thing God does is announce his own identity. Back in verse number two, In verse number two, he starts before he ever gives the first command. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Specifically, the Ten Commandments teach us about God the Father. Each one of the Ten Commandments is a revelation of the character. It gives us an insight to the character and the person of God. Think about what kind of an amazing person, how amazing must God be to say, make sure you take a day off every week. What kind of person would tell you, take a day off every, it's a person who loves you. It's a person who has your best interest in mind. What kind of person would command society not to steal? Well, only a just and generous God who can be fully trusted would give such a command. Only a God who doesn't defraud his people, a God who's not looking out for himself, but he he only overflows with kindness and abundance to his people. Think about what every command teaches us about the character of God. Now, there are a lot of references in your notes, and we're not gonna look at all the references. I put those references in there each week, so in your devotions, you can study those and learn more about what we talked about on Thursday or on Sunday, but we're introduced to God back in Exodus chapter three. We're introduced specifically to God's relationship with Moses. And if we remember, this has been like a month and a half ago or two months ago, whenever we talked about Exodus chapter three, in that particular passage, Moses is asking essentially, who are you? And God says, I am that I am, or I am who I am. He was giving him this mysterious name that even scholars today don't fully, we can't fully comprehend the name of Yahweh. In Greek, it's Jehovah. What is it exactly? It's his covenant name, we know that, but, but where does it come from and why did God tell Moses those words? And so there's still a little bit of a mystery in Exodus chapter 3 about the person of God. But when you get to Exodus chapter 20, all of a sudden, we learn so much more about God the Father. We learn that God is greater than all other ideas or notions of God. From the second command, we learn that God is alive. He is not a piece of dead wood or carved stone. We learn that God is worthy of respect and honor, that he loves his children and he wants his children to rest and take care of themselves. We learn that about God from the fourth command. From the fifth command, we learn that God values family structure and has designed it to be a picture of love and security and acceptance. From the sixth command, we learn that God values human life and that each person is made in his image. In the seventh command, we learn that God values commitment, especially in a marriage covenant. In the eighth command, we learn that God values work and personal property and not theft and robbery. In the ninth command, we learn that God values truth because he is truth. And then the 10th command, we learn that God gives us exactly what we need. We don't have to covet. We don't have to want something else because God has given us exactly what we need. If you're taking notes, I like to summarize it this way. A law is an expression of a lawgiver's heart. A law is an expression of a lawgiver's heart. In other words, we learn the heart of God in the Ten Commandments. Number two, we've talked about the G, all right? We know that the Ten Commandments teach us about God the Father. Number two, the O. The Ten Commandments teach us much about ourselves, they teach us much about ourselves. Each one of the 10 gives us a little more insight into our own character, right? If you're like me, I'm naturally prone to seeing the flaws in someone else's character, but I don't really want to talk about the flaws in my own character. You see, the 10 commandments are like a mirror. They help us see ourselves for who we really are. Think about what kind of people we would have to be for God to tell us things like, don't lie over and over again in the Scriptures, but it's part of the Ten Commandments. What kind of people must we be for God to tell us? Well, we, we're we probably a people who are prone to exaggerate, people who are prone to trim or embellish the truth to suit our own purposes. What kind of people must we be for God to tell us not to steal? Well, we must be a people who naturally take, not naturally Give. What must, kind of people must we be in order for God to remind us over and over again to honor our parents? I realize there's no perfect parents, and many of you, some of you have walked through some difficult roads with your parents. There's no excuse for, for hurt and abuse, but we know that none of our parents are perfect. God gave me great parents, God gave many of you great parents, but what kind of person must I be to naturally grow up as a little child, as a teenager, as an older, even as an adult who will be prone not to honor my parents. God knows who we are, and so he speaks his word directly to our hearts. When I read through the Ten Commandments a little bit ago, I just want to give you a quick test. Did any of them jump out to you? You don't have to raise your hand. But did any of them jump out to you that maybe you've already broken? Now again, I'm not asking for a raise of hand, but I, I would be curious how many of us would say that we've broken at least one command. Probably all of us. Now, if I were to say how many of us have broken two commands, three commands, you know, maybe some of you are doing really, really good. You've only broken a few. Maybe you're some of you are like me, man. You're you're right there, you know, and and you are because Jesus. Remember, Jesus said it's not just what you do, but if you do some of these things in your heart, it's as if you've done them physically outwardly. It says, if you hate somebody and you're bitter towards them and you won't forgive them, it's as if you've murdered them in your heart. So now all of a sudden, we're racking up the list. James 2.10 says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So in other words, there's not a Uh, an 80% passing grade to get into heaven. God says you got to be perfect to get into heaven. And if you're not perfect, that means you need a deliverer. You need a savior, which we'll talk about in a moment. I like to describe the law this way. The law is a lot like an MRI scanner. The law, it doesn't just do the surface, but the law looks at us deep inside and helps us see ourselves for who we are and help us realize how God sees us. That's what the law does for us. The 10 commandments teach us much about ourselves. Kind of depressing, really. (laughs) So where's the hope? Well, the hope comes in the next letter. We've talked about the G. It teaches us about God the Father. We've talked about the O. The Ten Commandments teach us about ourselves. But number three, the third out of four letters, the Ten Commandments teach us much about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Ten Commandments teach us and show us much about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is something that's been in the news this past week. You know, did Jesus completely fulfill the law? Did Jesus completely keep all of God's commandments? If you're taking notes, you might wanna write a few of these verses down. They're not in your outline. Uh, but the Bible does teach us that Jesus actually never broke any of God's commandments, not the 10 commands, not the hundreds of other commands. He never sinned against his Father. 1 Peter 2, 22. Jesus committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. 1 Peter 2, 22. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Jesus knew no sin. Hebrews 4.15, Jesus was tempted in all things like we are, yet he was without sin. And then in Luke 1.35, a Christmas, famous Christmas verse, the angel told Mary that she had conceived of the Holy Spirit a child who would be without sin. This past week or about a week ago, some of you may have heard Don Lemon's remark uh, that Jesus wasn't perfect on CNN. He mentioned Jesus is imperfect. And I think Tony Dungy's response personally, this is just me speaking, I think his response was, was correct. I think he was, it was appropriate. It was a public declaration about Jesus and Tony, Tony Dungy made a, a public response. And, and of course we show people grace. Not everyone grew up or has the opportunity to have learned the Bible like we did and there's all sorts of reasons. We show a lot of grace, but why is it important for us to personally believe and teach our children that Jesus never sinned. Why is it important that we believe that? Why is it such a big deal? Well, the way I like to describe it is this way. You can write this down. We are saved by the active obedience of Christ. We are saved by the active obedience Of Christ. In other words, Jesus didn't just forgive us and wash our sins away when he died on the cross and was buried and he rose again. But Jesus had to live a full life, whatever a full life was, and be inspected by us, by witnesses, by God the Father. He had to live a perfect life. That means Jesus could not have arrived to earth on Thursday, died on the cross on Friday, rose again on Sunday, and went back to heaven on Monday. He couldn't have been our savior to do that. He had to live a life, and just as the lamb in the temple and the tabernacle had to be inspected over a season of time, Jesus had to live a life of perfection. We are saved by the act of obedience of Christ. Matthew five seventeen puts it this way. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is saying everything in the law and the prophets points to me, and I've obeyed it completely. Over in verse 20, Matthew 5, he says, "'For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law,' you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Just to quickly explain that, these teachers of the law and the Pharisees were like the righteous of the righteous at least outwardly. No one hearing Jesus say these words would have stood up and said, "I'm more righteous than the Pharisees." They were so religious, right? And what Jesus is saying is even these turkeys can't get into heaven. They're not even righteous enough to get into heaven. And so if you're not as righteous as they are, and they have no hope getting into heaven without a savior, we have no hope to get to heaven without a savior. We need someone who is righteous to take our place. Over in the book of John 129, it records John the Baptist's words. It says, next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look, or behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How can we be saved from our idolatry? Well, the reason we can be saved from our idolatry is because Jesus never committed idolatry. And on the cross, he took, it's the great exchange. He took our idolatry on himself, the punishment for our idolatry, and he gave us his righteousness. How can we be saved from taking God's name in vain? How can we be saved from our relentless refusal to rest How can we be saved from dishonoring our parents? It's because Jesus never did any of those things. And on the cross, he took the punishment for our sin and he gave us his righteousness, 2 Corinthians 5.21. How can we be saved from our murder and our hatred and our anger and our temper tantrums? How can we be saved from our adultery and our lust and our wandering eyes? How can we be saved from our stealing and cheating and cutting corners? How can we be saved from our lying and our exaggerating or coveting our neighbor's house or spouse or job or jet ski or boat or life or kids? How can we do that? The answer is in the L. The 10 commandments teach us much about the Lord Jesus Christ. We are saved by the active obedience of Christ. So what do the Ten Commandments teach us? They teach us the G, about God the Father, the O, about ourselves, the L, they teach us about the Lord Jesus Christ, and lastly, the Ten Commandments teach us the F, about human flourishing. The Ten Commandments teach us about human flourishing. I may need to define that for a bit. We're going to be talking a lot more about that this fall. But human flourishing is one of the main themes of the Bible. It's not the main theme, but it's one of the main sub-themes. Throughout the Bible, there are different words used for this. This is more of kind of a a modern word. Some would say it's been uh, revived a bit since the Enlightenment. But this idea of human flourishing or human formation is phrased in different ways throughout the Bible. Words like shalom which means peace, doesn't just mean that we're not at war, but it means holistic wellness, wholeness, being blessed, being happy. It refers to a state where people experience positive emotions, positive psychological and social functioning most of the time, and they live with an optimal range of human functioning. It's a description of overall well-being. Now, we know that we're not gonna be completely whole. We're not gonna completely flourish until we're in the new heaven and the new earth. We know that. There's no person, I'm not saying tonight that if you memorize these verses I'm about to show you that you can flourish and everything in your life will be good. That's not what I'm preaching at all. We know that the perfect man, the God-man, Jesus, lived the perfect life, and notice how his life ended with intense suffering and rejection, and so as we look in, in passages like Matthew 5, I would encourage you to look again at some of the references in your outline. Jesus doesn't promise us a life of ease, but he does promise us that we can flourish. We can flourish spiritually and by his grace in many other ways. Most of us, if we're honest, I think all of us, if we're honest, would admit God has blessed us far more than we deserve. Psalm one, Psalm 1 is the classic human flourishing Passage. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take nor sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the what? The law. We're talking about the law tonight. To The 10 commandments are part of the law. His delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. What's gonna happen if we do that? That person is like a tree Planted by streams of water. That's a picture of flourishing. That person is planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. Not so with the wicked. They are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. 1 John 5, 3 summarizes it this way. You say, aren't the 10 commandments hard? Aren't they hard to keep? Well, they're impossible to keep on our own, but Jesus still invites us by his grace uh, to rely on him. It says, this is the love for God to keep his commands and his commands are not burdensome. Now let's think for a minute about your drive here this evening. If you had to drive through South Ridge, if you came from, the, from town, you know what traffic is like. Think about our area without traffic laws, right? I mean, even think about just your morning commute without traffic laws. Once in a while, we all wish that there were no laws. We could drive as fast as we can and wherever we want, but really, we, we don't truly mean that. I mean, think about if there were no laws about slowing down in school zones or, you know, slow, stopping for school buses, all these laws are for our flourishing. Why is it so important that God wants us to flourish? What's the motivation for this? Well, it's all the way back in Exodus chapter 20, verses one and two. We're gonna end the message the same way we started the message. Back in Exodus 20, verse two, before God ever one time gave a command, before he ever said, I want you to do these 10 things, Before he ever said that, he reminded the people that he had saved them from Egypt. These laws, these 10 commandments were not given to save us. God did not come to the people in Egypt and say, I want you to get these 10 commandments right. I'm going to come back in five years. And if you've got your life cleaned up, I'll free you from Egypt. That's not what God said. No, the Israelites were an oppressed people. And God said, I hear your cry. I will save you because I love you. And when you're saved and when you're free and when you're forgiven, then on the mountain, I'll teach you a new way to live. You might write this down. Salvation is not the reward for obedience. It is the reason for obedience. Salvation is not a reward for obedience. It's the reason we're, for obedience. We obey the Ten Commandments not because it earns us favor with God. Jesus is the only one that could earn us favor with God. We keep the Ten Commandments because we've been delivered. And so thankfully, the people of Israel were given these Ten Commandments after they've been saved. What do I want you to do this evening? What am I asking you to do this week? Of course, I, I, I want us to remember the Ten Commandments and I want us to obey the Ten Commandments. That's a given. That's always. Let's ask the Lord to help us live the Ten Commandments, even in our hearts in greater ways than we've ever done. But... Beyond that, I wanna really encourage you to try your best to memorize the the four things, the G-O-L-F. If you need to put a note card on your mirror or a post-it note on your your windshield, whatever that looks like, try to memorize. The 10 commandments were given to teach us about God, about ourselves, about the Lord Jesus, and about flourishing. They are for my good. That's why God gave them. Imagine how our lives would be different. Imagine how our children's future could be different if we would do our best, by the grace of God, of course, to raise them, teach them, point them in the way of the Ten Commandments. Well, I started with golf clubs here on the platform, so I've got to certainly end uh, by telling you a golf story I read this week. There, the internet is, is certainly uh, full of golf jokes, and I've sought far and wide for one I could tell and not lose my job, and I didn't find one. Uh, but I did read, I was inspired this week by, by Payne Stewart and his story. He, Payne Stewart won 11 PGA Tour events. His last event was the 1999 US Open where he won by one stroke by nailing a 15-foot par putt. Stewart was popular with golfers for two reasons. One, because of his antics, the the statues and plaques that they've made in his honor, uh, always have him doing something like that. But also for his dress, his dress style captivated audience. Payne went to Southern Methodist University on a golf scholarship, but he wasn't quite good enough to join the PGA tour. So he went on the Asian tour instead. That's how he met his wife. An Australian lady named Tracy. Finally, he made it on the PGA tour and he started making big bucks. But he quickly realized that this was hollow. Making the big bucks and actually starting to climb the ladder of notoriety was not going to satisfy. And so, right around that time, God used two things to shake him up. He had a good friend named Paul who developed cancer watching paul go through cancer treatments paul putting his faith and trust in jesus christ it intrigued pain how could somebody be so hopeful even if they died he couldn't understand how his buddy was so filled with hope and so that impacted him but he wasn't yet a christian but god also used the second thing god used like god has used in many of our lives his children they enrolled him in a Christian school down in Orlando, the school connected to First Baptist Church, and his kids would come home telling Pain about the good news, all that they were learning, the good news of Jesus, uh, just like some of your children have done in Sunday school or in school or otherwise. Nobody knows for sure when Pain crossed the line of faith, but people begin to see glimmers of it as the gospel took root in his life. On one occasion, after a win, he he said, I want to thank the Lord Jesus for helping me out here today. His family was shocked. His kids were shocked. His dad's talking about Jesus. During the baseball offseason between the fall of 98 and the spring of 99, Oral Hershiser, famous for being a pitcher for the Dodgers, leading to a World Series win, he taught a Sunday school class at the First Baptist Church of Orlando. He invited Payne and Tracy into his class. And he gave Oral, Oral gave Payne two devotional books, and Payne began to read them faithfully. On April of 1999, his son came home from school and handed dad a, a bracelet, a WWJD bracelet. And he said, Dad, God told me that you're supposed to wear this. And he said, Okay, I'll wear this. And as you look at pictures, Of those months in 1999, he had the bracelet on. He wore it everywhere, social occasions, golf tournaments. He wasn't ashamed to be seen with it. And then there was the Sports Illustrated article where essentially he went public more than ever with his faith. There used to be a void in my life. The peace I have now is so wonderful. I don't understand how long I lived without it. This didn't make the article, the next part of the paragraph, but his friends said, They cut this part out. I just want everybody to know it's Jesus. It's Jesus that's done this for me. It's Jesus that has changed my life. October 25th, 1999, Payne got up like any other morning, fixed his family pancakes, told his wife and kids goodbye and was headed off in his Lear jet to his next appointment. Due to some in-flight incident, the occupants of of the plane were incapacitated and it flew until it ran out of gas and crashed in South Dakota. Though the force of the crash obliterated almost everything in the plane, the National Transportation Board found these items still intact. They found Payne's wedding ring. They found his WWJD bracelet and they found his scripture promise book. What was left of it given to him by Oral Hershiser, When his wife Tracy leafed through the book, she found the date the night before the crash. And this is the last thing he would have read before he went to sleep. Grant that I may be used of God to open the eyes of others, to turn them from darkness to light, that they may be forgiven and through faith in Jesus Christ. That was the last thing Payne would have read in his devotional journal. And I think that's the thing Payne would want me to tell you today. You see, the Ten Commandments in this service, in this church, in Christianity aren't about earning your way to Jesus, it's about coming to Jesus just like you and you let him forgive you. You let him save you. You let him wash your sins away. You commit your life to Christ and you can experience what pain experienced. New life, new hope, new faith. Five years from now, 50 years from now, I ask you to remember tonight's main idea. The 10 Commandments teach us much about golf, much about God the Father, much about ourselves, much about the Lord Jesus, and much about what it means to flourish as a follower of Jesus. Let's ask God to help us live out those commands this week. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for the beauty of the law. And I pray and ask that you will help us in the days to come be students of your law, students of your word, that people who are not just drawn to a book or words on a page, but a people who are drawn to the God who gave us these words. Help us to be a people who are honest about ourselves, who are in love with the Lord Jesus and who want to flourish. Lord, the truth is we, we know that your love for us doesn't depend on how good we do and keeping the commands. but Would you give us a desire to be a people of integrity? Grow us, God, grow me. Grow us from the inside out that we would show people what it means to flourish like a tree planted by the rivers of waters. With heads bowed and eyes closed in a moment we're gonna have a special. And as they sing this last song, I encourage you right where you sit to take a moment and do three things, to pray, The Lord would lead you to pray. This is also a good time. Some of you may choose to give. Pray and give. My wife and I choose to give through the app. Maybe that's the way you'll choose to give. But also, just sing along the words in your heart as the band leads us. Pray and give and sing. Whenever the pandemic's over, we want to do communion by God's grace in every service. That's my desire. Every service right now at the end. It'll look differently. It'll be different. But tonight... While you sit in your seat, I ask you to pray, to seek the Lord, through giving, and or sing in your heart. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. You can also join us in person for services on Thursday at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m.